0: Well, today we are, boy, do we have an appropriate section of the book of Acts today, right? Uh, uh, we are in chapter 6, and looking at the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6, okay? Now, this is, uh, uh, on many levels, very, very interesting, because first of all, This is a new section of the book, that something's happening now that hasn't happened before. Okay, Up until now, uh, basically what we're seeing is uh, the beginning of the restoration of Israel, as we've said, right? The beginning of the restoration of Israel, the promise of the pouring out of the Ruach. Uh, Peter articulating uh, very much about what is going on in a, in a, a thoroughly... A thoroughly Jewish way uh, quoting uh, lots of texts from the Torah and the prophets and the writings by the way all three sections uh, of the Tanakh Uh, and uh, he is uh, clearly uh, you know explaining who Yeshua is he's explaining that uh, he's basically saying you totally missed the boat you totally misunderstood but it's not too late you can repent Uh, you know, and no God. We see even the response of the people, that they're pierced to the heart, which reminds us of Isaiah 53, and, you know, of, uh, you know, we thought that uh, he was smitten of God and afflicted. Uh Uh-oh, he was pierced through for our transgressions, right? And that's basically what Peter, you know, is is saying. And it also reminds us of Zechariah chapter 12, Uh, you know, uh, that uh, they shall recognize him whom they have pierced, and they'll mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And that's basically what happens here. So it's like a microcosm of the end, you know, Uh, and that's what's happening. Now, we get a hint at the beginning of chapter 5 that Luke is slowly but surely beginning something new. Ananias and Sapphira uh we read some uh you know some issues uh in the congregation. And I was thinking about this, but you know, I don't know for sure, but it's just interesting to think about. Ananias and Sapphira, right, sound uh, don't sound like uh, Jerusalem Jewish names, right? Uh, and so perhaps uh, you know they are a sign to us of the beginnings of the uh um the Hellenistic Jewish uh um Uh, focus. Uh, And uh, that in combination with some troubles in in the community. Well, we talked about all that. Uh, And now in chapter 6, we see for the first time Hellenists, Hellenistic Jews, uh, and native Hebrews, and a social issue in the congregation. Uh, And uh, and, uh, the introduction of Stephen and the introduction of Philip, and the introduction of Antioch. Uh, And so Luke is beginning to do something a little bit bit different, moving out from Jerusalem, you know, uh, Judea and Samaria, from the Jerusalem Jews to the Hellenistic Jews. And we're also going to see a shift away from the Twelve Apostles, a shift away from the Apostles to simply others uh, who are doing the work of the ministry. So it's very interesting the way this plays out. But before we uh, leave uh, this first section, there was just one thing uh, that, that I wanted to uh, to mention. Uh, and you know, because I'm teaching the, the class on the speeches and acts, some things uh, come out in the messages that I, I want to say in that class, and some things come out in the class, you know, that I want to say in the messages. And one of the things uh, that I brought up uh, in the class was... The, the simple yet profound theology of Peter. Uh, and it's really interesting. Uh, and only thinking about one thing here. And that is how Peter understands, basically, that Yeshua is not just a man, like the song says. Uh, you know, that, that Yeshua uh, is the Lord and and what that means and how he identifies Yeshua uh, with the Lord. And basically... Uh, what he says is, is, he identifies the works of Yeshua with what God does. That Yeshua is doing what God does. Only God can forgive sins, for example. Yeshua is forgiving sins. Now, now an agent of God can't do that. An angel of God can't do that. Only God can do that. Okay? And, and, and I can't do that. Uh, or any clergy person can can forgive someone's sin. I can forgive a personal sin, but I don't forgive your sins. God forgives yours. I don't forgive your sins. God forgives your sins. Yeshua forgives your sins. Yeshua is Lord. Okay? So what Peter does is he identifies the works of Yeshua with what, specifically what God does. And then basically he caps it off by saying, Yeshua ascended to the right hand of God and like Yeshua quoted, Peter quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. You know, uh, the Lord said to my Lord. Uh, and uh, it's quite clear, it's yud Vavhe. vav uh, And Yeshua brings that out, and Peter does. And that's why at the very end, what, what does he say? He has made him both Lord and Messiah. When Peter or Paul or any of those Jewish apostles refer to Yeshua as Lord, it is, is, they're thinking Lord, like Lord God. There is no other way to understand that. And so therefore, if we ourselves, we might say, and people have come here, you know, and have said this, that, well, I believe in Yeshua, but I'm not so sure if he is the Lord, I'm not sure that he is a God in the flesh. Well, then you're not really sure about Yeshua. Then you're not sure about Yeshua. In other words, if we deny his deity, if we deny his being part of the Godhead, we're denying who he is. Then he can't forgive sins. Then he can't pour out the ruach. He could be a miracle worker and he could teach, but he cannot be the message. And so that is why uh, uh, when we uh, understand Yeshua as uh, the incarnate, uh, a God, uh, that uh, uh, we are saying, yes, you are the one who forgives our sins, okay? Now, it's also important to understand that when we use the word monotheism, we define it in the 21st century differently. Uh, in fact, you know, here's a, here's a really cool thing to know. You know how we like to say, we don't like to use the word trinity, because in our world it doesn't mean, it means like three things. Like three separate things, right? It's not in the Bible. You know what else is not in the Bible? The word. You ready? The word monotheism is not in the Bible. Okay. Uh, now, using our uh, vernacular, yes, we are monotheists. We only believe in one God. But there, in the uh, text of the Bible, there uh, uh, and and clearly in the understanding of the uh, apostles. Yeshua uh, is Lord, yet there's clearly only one God, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Clearly there is only one God. But in their understanding of only one God, and in the understanding of the Bible, there is only one God, yet God can manifest himself at different times and different places. Right? And most of those appearances are called ephemeral appearances, meaning... Like a man appeared, you know, uh, uh, like the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah and his wife in the book of Judges. The difference here is, is that the high, when Yeshua came, this was the highest form of God making himself known in truly uh, human flesh. And it was miraculous, just as miraculous as a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man having a baby, which is more miraculous you know, that's pretty miraculous, right? And so, uh, Peter understands this. Uh, and it's important for us to get that, to get that part of what Peter is saying. And you don't have to be Thomas Aquinas, and you don't have to be John Calvin, uh, and you don't have to, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, write words that that you need a dictionary to understand Uh, like subsistence versus substance and this and that. No, isn't it great that in these verses, Peter explains the whole thing? And, you know, it's so simple, yet so profound. And that's why it's so precious and marvelous. And he is explaining this to Jewish people, that Yeshua is the Messiah. Yeshua is Lord. The whole thing is thoroughly Jewish uh, uh, to understand. And, uh, And there you go. Okay. That on top of everything else we said uh, about, uh, this, uh, about this message of Peter. Okay, so now we're turning the page uh, a bit, and literally turning the page, right? And so we come to uh, Acts uh, 6. All right, now we're going to read the first seven verses. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. I, you know what that reminds me of in my twisted mind? Nick, 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 and Nick. Just thought I'd throw that out there, if you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, And these they brought before the the apostles, and after praying, they lay their hands on uh, on them. And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. All right, so uh, first of all, something kind of interesting, there's some different language used for the first time in chapter 6. The word disciple is used for the first time now, that Luke is using it in, in the book of Acts. And Luke, as we will see, he is so cool in the way he writes, because he will use words for the first time in different places to, to like signal a change. We're going to see this big time in chapter 13 someday, okay? But uh, here, uh, very, he's using the word disciples, okay? I, uh, you know, Yeshua used the term, the term is in the Gospels, so it's just interesting, it just signals something new is happening, okay? Okay, we're increasing, so the congregation in Jerusalem, which was the only congregation at the time, uh, was getting larger, was growing. Now it says at this time, this is still the very beginning, we're still at the, the, the infancy of uh, the kihilat. Uh, the, the infancy of the congregation. Peter had just given his speech. They, you know, this whole thing of, of uh, he, him and John being in and out of, of a jail has taken place over a, a very short period of time, days, okay? Uh, and so what Luke is giving us is over the period of days or a period of weeks, the, the congregation was growing, uh, I, but Luke is very transparent and tells us that, you know, it was not a fairy tale. We saw already Ananias and Sapphira, but now we're going to see something else. It says, a complaint, murmuring, grumbling, arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. Now, Hellenists and, uh, and Hebrews. Okay, well, <clears throat> you know, when you look in a, uh, when you look in a, uh, a lexicon uh, for this word, when it says Hellenists, it's not speaking about Greek Hellenists. It's speaking about Greek-speaking Jews. Like right in the BDAG lexicon, that's what it says. Israelites who spoke Greek, okay? Uh, And and so uh, it's important to understand this is an inter-Jewish issue going on. But it it is uh, a model... Of, uh, of of uh, many things that happen, even uh, in our words, or in our world. Okay, uh, so uh, you have here a situation where, yes, the congregation was Jewish, but there were different kinds of Jews, different Jews who spoke different languages. Uh, and if you don't think that's important, just go up to Montreal. Okay. I uh, go to Montreal and then drive over to Ontario and, and go to Toronto and, uh, and you'll see there's a pretty big difference, right? Uh, and uh, you ask people in Quebec uh, about how important it is to speak French, they'll tell you, okay? All right, so uh, language is a huge determiner of, of, of identity, huge, but, it, but language leads to culture, Okay. You know that uh, in the Jewish world today, for example, it's not so much Greek-speaking Jews. I, uh, however, I, we could say that uh, if you put together a, a congregation of people who were staunch Ashkenazi Jews and staunch uh, Sephardic Jews and say, okay, this is how we're going to do things, you would end up with differences. And those differences would have to be figured out. There's social, cultural Differences among people now, you know, even among Ashkenazi Jews. I won't use all the 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 Yiddish terminology, but if you came from like what would be called the Pale of Settlement If your grandparents or great-grandparents came from that part of Russia, that's where they herded all the Jews uh, uh, Perhaps centered in Lithuania, right? So Lithuanian kinds of Jews And then Polish kinds of Jews, there would be differences. You know where those differences would be? In cuisine, in how you make the flanken, or whether you put prunes in the tzimis. And that's like a big deal, you know? Uh, As well as dialects of Yiddish. That's why some of us, and also the little shtetl where your grandparents came from. For example, my grandparents said words, that uh, I've compared over time with other people's grandparents, and they didn't say them the same way. Why didn't they say them the same way? Because they came from a little bit of a different place. And these things are big identity markers, right? Uh, and so here, really for the first time, we're seeing the nature of a, a, a new covenant kahilah, The nature of a new covenant congregation meant... That people of that have speak different languages, people that have different cultures are coming together. See, previous to this, you would not have a congregation or a, you know, a synagogue of Hellenistic Jews and uh, Jerusalem Jews. They wouldn't do it. Just it's not what you did, you know. But here now we see that they're in the they're uh, they're in the same place. Okay? And this creates growing pains. Now, some have said that it was clearly a, um, uh, an issue of discrimination, what's happening. Others say it's an issue of, uh, of many people and administration. May I suggest it's all of the above and probably a few other things too, right? Uh, that, that the congregation was growing, uh, that you were different kinds of people, and people are people, whether they live in the first century or the 21st century, and they bring their baggage, you know? And think about this. There was no uh, culture of being a Messiah follower yet. You know, like this is how we do things, you know? It was like brand new. There wasn't even a polity yet. There wasn't even a, oh, elders and, and shamash. That didn't exist yet. All you had was the 12 apostles and everybody else, and we're trying to figure it out. You know, and we need to appreciate that about what's happening um, I, I, because it helps us to understand how things evolved and it helps us to understand ourselves uh, as uh, as well. All right, so you have uh, Jerusalem Jews uh, who uh, basically spoke uh, a form of Mishnaic Hebrew or Hebrew. Uh, and you had Hellenistic Jews who basically spoke Greek. Now it says here that there was a complaint on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the uh, the the Hebrew speaking uh, the, the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Okay, now that's a big statement. Okay, even about what it means. All right, all right. Uh, first thing, just some observations. Luke is bringing this out. There's probably a lot of things he could have talked about, but he brings this up. In the the big scheme of things, of everything he's going to say, he brings this up. One of the things it tells us is how important widows were. How important it was to take care of widows, right? And this becomes quite clear. uh, It's quite clear all the way through the Bible, basically. All the way through the Bible, you know, I, I don't have time to turn to all the passages, but the prophets, one of the reasons the Jewish people went into captivity is because they didn't take care of widows. I mean, that's pretty, pretty weighty. After the Babylonian captivity, Zechariah uh, uh, says to people that were very concerned about when to fast, are you taking care of widows? Okay. Uh, when uh, when uh, uh, Paul is uh, mentoring Timothy, and basically, is talking to him about congregational administration, and uh, you know, and and uh, what you need to do. One of the things he says is uh, that uh, you know you need to make sure you're taking care of widows. And then he goes into this whole thing. It's one of my favorite passages. He goes into this whole thing about make sure they're really widows, and make sure that they that their families are not taking care of them. And if their families aren't taking care of them, you need to take care of them, right? You know that from it's in 1st uh, timothy in the 5th chapter right james says true and undefiled manifestations of worship it says in your english bible religion but we usually see that as a negative like oh religion you know bad right yeah uh, but the way uh, it's used in the brichara shah is it is a manifestation of worship like a way of demonstrating worship to god okay is taking care of orphans and widows. It's a pretty strong statement. That's in James 1.27. Okay? Uh, so clearly, this is very important. Now, would we say it's just widows? We'd say it's vulnerable people in the community. People that are, we could just say, old people that uh, don't have family. How about that? Uh, or uh, people that are that, that have real needs and, and are vulnerable, that, that there's a responsibility in the Kihilah. in the... In the community, there is a a responsibility for taking care of one another, you know? It's not just preaching and teaching, uh, you know, uh, and uh, fun fun events and holidays, Uh, that there is a real responsibility of caring for one another. And and I'm just going to throw this in. We should not let our view of American politics uh, color our view of caring for people in the community. All right, very important to to get that. Uh, Now, it says, how are they overlooked? In the daily serving of food. Okay, well, I wish it actually said that, because then it would be really clear. All right, but it doesn't exactly say that, but you'll see that it's going to allude to probably that, okay? Uh, It says daily ministry, literally daily, daily ministry. Diakonah, the, the, the word that uh, is translated deacon in, our, in your English Bible, uh, is the name of an office of which this is. Okay, very important. This is the word, the word ministry. Okay, and if you look up this word, it's used a variety of ways in the Brit Kharasha. It's used in a variety of ways. When Paul refers to his ministry of reconciliation or whatever his ministry, this ministry, that ministry, uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter four, uh, the work of the ministry, it's this, it's this. Okay. So you can't just say, Oh, it's uh, referring to this. It depends on uh, what's uh, going on. So the, the thing we want to understand is, is when we use that word ministry, this that is a very spiritual thing we're talking about. It is service, service, serving, serving people in one way or another, serving people, right? Uh, and so uh, it is. It's a very important word that is used. And by the way, it's also used. The very same word is used in verse four. It's so. You love finding things like this, you know what I mean? In verse four, when it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, it's the same word. It's not a different word. It's just uh, 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 how you're ministering to people, how people are being served, okay? All right, so I uh, I think that it is uh, actually, uh, it tells us something about the lofty nature of what, of. Uh, of, of what's going on in verse 1. Because we might say, we might say, well, they didn't want to bother, the, you know, there's a problem with the daily serving of people, but we will focus on the ministry of the word, right? Well, uh, it's the same uh, uh, word. Uh, and, uh, uh, and just as spiritual and as uh, important, okay? Now, what is this daily uh, ministry? It could be a variety of things. We get a little hint uh, a little farther down in verse 2. When it says, And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Okay, ooh, now they're, get, they're, they're, they're getting a little more specific when they say serve tables. Okay? Now, there's no mystery to the meaning of the word table. It's table, like something you put stuff on. Okay? Now, in the New Covenant, it's used in all the places that you're familiar with, uh, like the money changers' tables. And also, uh, the word table is used often in relationship to serving food. And and, uh, I'm not going to turn to all the verses. But when it talks about eating, it often says, uh, you know, table, what's on the table, uh, the king's table, the master's table, and it refers to food. So you could say, if you add it up all the times that the word table is in the B'rit Shah, this word is in the B'rit Shah. the majority of times it has to do with food. But you know uh, what, how it else is used in one particular place? In every single translation, you'll find it's the word bank. Like B-A-N-K. Like when Yeshua tells a, a parable and it says it would have been better to put the money in a bank. It's this word. I put the money on a table. Okay? So... Therefore, some have come to the conclusion it means the distribution of money because you had money on the money changers' tables and, you, and, and Yeshua talks about putting money on a table or somewhere like where money is kept. Okay, Other people would say, no, it has to do with food. May I suggest that it has to do with money, it has to do with food, it probably has to do with clothing uh, as well uh, and, uh, and that... Uh, when it says, uh, when, the, when the apostles use the phrase to wait on tables, to serve tables, probably food. But you know what? That's not the point, right? So all those thousands upon thousands of pages uh, of discussion on that uh, are not the point of the passage, all right? Uh, but it is serving widows, ministry uh, toward widows. Okay? All right. Uh, so here's a problem. Now, the apostles become aware of this problem, that the Hellenistic Jews, uh, uh, either perception or in reality, are uh, their widows are, are being neglected. Okay? Now, the apostles find out about this, and it's really interesting because they could do a few things. One thing they could do is give a major teaching on... The importance of taking care of widows. They could have said, woe unto you, Jerusalem Jews. Why are you? What's going on here? This is not right. What's wrong with you? What are you doing? Uh, You know, that kind of thing. But immediately, they simply decide to solve the problem and make the whole thing a real teachable moment. Okay. Wow. Doesn't that educate us, especially as leaders? Okay. So what do they do? Okay, the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples. So that's the first thing they do. It's not a secret. It's not like someone told them and now they're gonna, you know, without making any way, they're gonna solve this problem by themselves and not consult anyone, and they'll get it figured. No, they basically tell everybody. Okay, we need to own this, everybody. Right that uh, we have a, an issue where people are being neglected because they're Hellenistic Jews. Brothers, this ought not to be, right? Uh, and, and so now uh, uh, they, they tell the congregation, and, and, they, and they do something that we have such a hard time doing, it's unbelievable, they're going to... De- can I get the word out of my mouth? They're going to delegate something. Okay? They're going to delegate something. All right. So it says, The twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. He's saying, Okay, we've got to solve this problem, but it is not right uh, for us who have been called by God to oversee, to teach, and to preach, and to, uh, you know, and, and to do all the things we're doing, to, uh, to do this ourselves. Okay? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. They're not saying that it's below them. They're not saying it's beneath them. They're saying that God has called us to do something, and there are able-bodied people who can do this, and we need to all be involved. There's nothing wrong with that but select from among you. So he tells the Kehillah, okay, I want to discuss this amongst yourselves, right? And I want you to come up with names of people, all right? I want you to come up with people, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, okay? So seven, it kind of reminds you of the 70 elders, that you read that Moses raises up, a, com- a complete number, the number that it ought to be. It's, you know, sev- seven, uh, seven people, okay? Uh, and notice it doesn't say, here's what it doesn't say, which we think it says. It doesn't say, pick seven Hellenistic Jews. It doesn't say that. It also doesn't say, uh, people that are really good with, um, you know, have a good personality to to uh, that, that are efficient, that can make sure that the job gets done, so we don't have to think about it. He, he doesn't say that. They don't say that either. Okay? What do they say? Godly men. Good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. May I say that as shorthand for Paul's articulation of the qualification of elders and shamashim. You know? Basically, this is what he's saying. Now, it's also very similar to what we read about in Numbers chapter 11, in the qualification of the elders that Moses is going to raise up. You can read it on your own. I think it's verses 16 and 17, perhaps, uh, in Numbers 11. And it is also very similar to this week in this week's Torah portion, in the part right after what Marcy read, when uh, Yitro uh, counsels Moses and says, you can't judge all these people by yourself, you're going to have a heart attack right? So you need to find people to do this work. And then if there's a problem, you know, they can bring it to you, right? Those people also, he describes, generally speaking, in the same way, right? So we can see this makes sense. This makes sense. Now, this also is a model of ancient synagogues in the late Second Temple period. The concept of delegating tasks to spiritual people. This was not something unheard of, all right? And this evidently evolved into elders and shamashim. But remember, right now, it was just the 12 and everybody else, okay? Okay. Uh, So, uh, very important. People of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of the task. So, it is not the congregation who's going to put them in charge of the task, It's the congregation to recommend people to put in charge of the task. And then uh, we read, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So very clearly we see that the apostles understood themselves as, our job is to pray and our job is to uh, teach the word of God. Okay, now, this is going to come as a, this might come as a surprise. But remember I said at the very beginning that two people are introduced in this chapter um, amongst those seven. One is named Stephen and one is named Philip. Well, here's what's interesting. Those two who evidently were men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and who were chosen to take care of those widows, they preached, they taught, they led people to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? And in fact, Stephen gives this apologetic Uh, in uh, a different kind of speech than Peter gave, Uh, at the end of this chapter, and he's going to die for it. Philip, remember Philip? Philip and the uh, Ethiopian eunuch in chapter uh, 8, right? Uh, It is most likely this very same Philip. Uh, and, uh, And so they weren't just waiting on tables. It wasn't like they're waiting on tables and we have more important things to do. No. It has to do with calling. It has to do with what God raises people up to do in varieties of callings and positions. So the primary thing that the apostles are called to do is to pray uh, and to teach the word of God. And clearly, here they were. It's not like they had the brit and they graduated from a seminary and they were bringing in guest speakers. No, okay. They were get, It was like all for the first time. They're teaching people that Yeshua is the Messiah. This was all brand new. And so therefore, uh, you know, this was their calling. Now, taking care of people, very, very important. And and they didn't put it aside. They made sure that it takes place, and they make sure that it takes place with the right people uh, to get it done. And that's what delegation is. I know we're chomping at the bit on all the practical applications, but it's coming, okay? All right. And the statement found, uh, approval with the whole congregation. Okay, so this was good. We're gonna do this. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He probably says that on purpose because right, a- right after this, uh, is, uh, Stephen's great, uh, uh, teaching. Okay. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, He's the next one. See? Isn't that interesting. Uh, Procurus, Nucanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Okay. So here's what's interesting, and here's what we always say. You always be careful about what we always say. Uh, What we always say is these were all Hellenistic Jews, and it really made sense because the problem was with the Hellenistic uh, Jewish widows, and so let's raise up people who are Hellenistic Jews. Now, that could be, but do you know, and this might sound unbelievable, that by this time in the late Second Temple period, even in Jerusalem they had different kinds of names, you know, that it wasn't. In other words, uh, you know, in Jerusalem I'm going to suggest that they didn't. That everybody didn't only speak Hebrew, but generally speaking, the person on the street spoke Hebrew, right? Uh, and people had different kinds of names. For example, there's a Pharisee in Jerusalem by the name of Nicodemus. You know anybody by the name of Nicodemus, like Nicodemus Finkelstein or you know uh, Nicodemus Schwartz? I don't think so, uh, right? So there was uh, a Jerusalem Jew with a Greek name, kind of interesting. But, you know, probably uh, uh, by naming them, by, by naming them, probably they're, they're Hellenistic Jews. Uh, but the point is, is that they were people that practically speaking, but first and foremost spiritually met the qualifications to be able to take care of people. Uh, now this, so I was uh, having a conversation about this, his, about names. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about this, and I mentioned the names, and I said, well, it's interesting, they're kind of they're Greek names. So what did this person say? This a Jewish, Jewish person. said to me, wait a minute, I, know, I grew up with people named Stephen uh, and Philip, you know? So I said, this is not Long Island, okay? Uh, this is a late second, uh, late second temple, Judea, right? Yes, we all grew up with Stevens and Phillips, Who doesn't know a Jewish Stephen or a Jewish Philip? Right, of course, right? Uh, uh, but it's kind of interesting. You always have to remember that, that this was not uh, about uh, living here now, right? So remember that. So it's interesting about the names. But also, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Suddenly we read uh, here, a proselyte was uh, someone that I became Jewish. I would use the term today, I, they converted. Okay? A proselyte to Judaism, right? To the Jewish world, to Jewish, the, to the Jewish people. So very interesting. What do we see? We see, wow, well, in this original Messianic congregation, you had proselytes from Syria, you had Hellenistic Jews from all over the Mediterranean. That's where Hellenistic Jews basically find their roots around the Mediterranean, uh, and, uh, and Jerusalem Jews, all in one place with Yeshua as their king, and they had to figure out, how do we do this? How do we do this? All right. And so, I, uh, clearly, I, both the apostles and the congregation recognized the value of figuring out a way to do this. In other words, there's no suggestion of, well, I have an idea. Why don't we have a congregation for Hellenistic Jews, and then why don't we have like another congregation for Jerusalem Jews? That would be a, that would solve the problem. but no, they are committed to figuring out a solution so that people's needs are met. Now, getting back to table to to the table thing again, this is very important. this is why. Probably it has to do with food. You know, you know, and we've talked about the importance of sharing meals. It's, at this period of time, it was huge, just like it is today. It, it, it's a way of showing hospitality, right? And so, therefore, the, uh, the issue of, of people in the same kihilah, in the same congregation, not caring for people when it comes to eating and food and sharing... That is a really huge problem, right? Remember what Paul says to Peter about perceived or real, you know, in Galatians? Uh, and, and, and when Yeshua's eating with the, with the sinners and the tax gatherers, there's grumbling uh, among the Pharisees, how could he do this kind of thing? Sitting down and eating with people is huge. That's why some people would identify this as the, the, what we would call Messiah's table. That, that in this kind of thing, in an actual, like uh, uh, a worship uh, uh, atmosphere, you, you know, that, that people were being neglected. I don't know if we can get that specific uh, about it. But it, it was profound that people needed to be eating together. And there needed to be uh, equanimity. And there needed to be, uh, you know, dignity uh, for everybody. Very, very important. Part of the organic nature of a spirit community, or of a new covenant uh, kehillah. Very, very important. So this is how uh, they uh, they met uh, that need. All right, so what does it tell us? It tells us that, that the congregation was growing, that's for sure, and it was growing in such a way that they had to keep up with it, and they had to make sure that People were being cared for and and they had to make sure that that things were being done, uh, you know, uh, that things were being done in, in the right need. And they had to make sure that not only were they making sure that everybody knew who Yeshua was, but they were taking care of people. They were taking care of widows. They were taking care of vulnerable people. Very important. And not only widows, but Hellenistic widows, you know? How far do we have to stretch Right? Hellenistic Greek speaking Jewish widows, not just the widows uh, uh, that, uh, that, that people might have been comfortable with. Uh, and, and so, very, very, uh, very, very important here. Uh, uh, they're, they're transparent. They engage everyone. Right? The community takes some ownership here in solving the problem. Right? They didn't just leave it to the apostles. I mean, the apostles that the apostles said, we need you to do something here, right? Uh, And so uh, there was particular kind of qualifications. Uh, They bring the names up. The apostles lay their hands on them and pray over them, right? Praying and laying their hands was a way of saying, we're raising them up for this purpose. You have given us these people. We are raising them up for this purpose. Uh, for this, uh, our purpose. So, you know, there's there's some great uh, meaning uh, for us. I'll just cut to the chase here. So in our culture and in our world, it's not the same exactly as what we have here. You know, uh, we should have such a problem of, uh, uh, you know, hundreds of Jewish believers that don't get along, (laughs) you know. So that's not exactly uh, the, the situation that we have. Yet, at the same time, given our culture, given our world, we are a community of Jews and Gentiles. Jews, uh, you know, Jewish people that come from a religious Jewish background, Jewish people that come from a a very secular Jewish background, uh, people that discover they're Jewish, uh, people that are not Jewish, uh, but really identify with Jewish people, people that are just interested in studying a messianic way of life or a messianic worldview, but don't really have much to do with the Jewish world, uh, all in one place, right? Uh, and, uh, and that's a good thing uh, and very important for us to be able to figure it out, right? Okay. Uh, now, uh, so in... in um, but this passage by itself is not the passage that answers the questions about... Is, this is not actually answering the question of Jewish-Gentile. You know what chapter that is? That's in chapter 15, okay? Uh, this, is, this is really about bringing uh, our baggage into the congregation, and people that speak differently or come from a different background, you know, uh, this is not Jewish-Gentile. This is often Gentile-on-Gentile, <laughs> You know, of different backgrounds and Jewish people and and, and all of us together. Uh, uh, That, that, for example, we don't bring our preconceived notions of people that come from a different part of the world or speak with a particular accent, you know? That's really what this is uh, speaking uh, about. And how important it is for us to maintain a Jewish ethnicity, because that's what God has called us to, to maintain a Jewish ethnicity. This is not like a, some uh, uh, elephant that we can't figure out what we are. You know what I mean? That we are a, a congregation of Jewish ethnicity for Jews and, and, and others who buy into our vision and our mission uh, of, of the whole thing, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, let's get that clear, all right? The testimony here is not to separate, but to live with one another, showing dignity and honor to all, within the, uh, the boundaries uh, that God has called us to. All right? All right. Most important. So those things, very important. Now, now, here's where I think that we do a good job of this, but there's always, we need to be reminded of it, right? Uh, that the passage puts great weight on ministering to older people, widows. It could have said, you know, the problem wasn't orphans. It was widows. So, given the occasion for this, it's important for us to get that, right? That we have a responsibility to take care of older people in our uh, community. But certainly, it extends to all vulnerable people in our community. And why is that important? Now, as I was studying this, I thought, boy, you know, remember the day when if you were 50 years old at Beth Messiah, you were OLD. <laughs> right? If you were 50, year old. Right, we all remember the day when the the oldest elder was, you know, thirty five years old. Can you believe that? You know, I, uh, I uh, when I came as a congregational leader, as a congregational leader in 1991, the congregation was already 15 years old, approximately, or something like that, right? And I was 34. I was, can you believe that I was 34? First of all, okay, you know, Elliot was 44. Was 44. Elliot he was the elder he was the you know the uh, the, uh, the the father of the congregation so 44 years old we'd say now oh young people are coming right <laughs> you, you, you know I uh, remember uh, that's what Bill Bose see he was like in his late 50s oh there you go or Tom Cox or you know people like that right those are older people right? They were not yet retired from working, uh, you know uh, now we've we've made this uh, 180 when uh, the majority of people at Beth Messiah, right or wrong, good or bad, whatever it is, it is, are uh, at least 50, at least 50. And what's happening now is We are, uh, we, like, for example, you know, we have the Chavurah on Wednesday morning. Years ago, that would have never been. Everybody's working, right? Now, uh, we have, like, 20 people that are here on Wednesday mornings at 1030 in the morning. Okay, that that is uh, a a sign of the times, okay? But there's something else. We now have, you know, I'm going to use a, because I don't know what another term is. This is often used in churches, like shut-ins like people that need to be visited, like people that need to be visited, or people that need to be taken to doctor's appointments, people that need to be taken to here or, or there, because, like what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 about, about widows, make sure they're really widows and make sure their families aren't taking care of them. Well, we have people that, where their families might need help, or we have people who don't have families. So, you know, it's not like the extra burden. It's kind of what we're, what we're called to do. But the thing is... It's not just one person who's called to serve. It's all of us. The first priority is to be walking with God. Not just you have time, but you, you have a relationship with God. You, you, are, you have a good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. You know, that doesn't mean that your job is then to only take classes and learn about the Bible. It means that we're we're called to serve, and so here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. We are all called to do more than sit in the pew. We are all called to serve people in some way. That doesn't mean sit necessarily. Sit on a committee. Lead a a uh, you know lead a committee. It means pour ourselves into people's lives, and it can be very practical things. Not only pouring ourselves into them to teach them the Bible, but in word and deed. This passage clearly screams uh, that, uh, that to us. Another thing that we learn here in Beth Messiah leaders, listen up. We are called, uh, first of all, I'm going to start, I'm going from, well, we're called to delegate. We are called to delegate, okay? We need to do it. It's not just like expedient. We're called to delegate because it's good for people. It's it's ministering to people to delegate. okay? And that means that in delegating, it's not about perfection. It's not about perfection. It's about perseverance. It's about sticking with it. It's about Seeing myself as I have an opportunity to serve God, and I'm going to do my best to serve God. And, you know, if that holiday celebration is not perfect, okay, it's not perfect. So when you're delegating, you, try, you, try, you give guidelines and you help, but you got to let people make decisions and, you know, and all of that. Very important. That is how, we, that is how people get excited and motivated about things. Not just letting a few people do everything and we all attend because I'm too busy. No. Okay, now you ready? Uh, This is really important. Now, here's the thing. We have three elders, so this is a word to our elders. Now, I'm one-third of the elders, so I'm talking to myself. What do the the apostles say here uh, that their primary task is prayer and the ministry of the word? Okay, we better be praying, it's not just, uh, this is not just me t- telling everybody else you better be serving. It's me saying, Howard, you better be praying, right? Make sure you're praying for people. It's not enough to be an elder and do stuff. Yes, isn't it great that um, like Philip and Stephen, we have elders that do lots of things, right? And that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's great. It's great to do those things, but really important to be praying and be in the word to minister people in the word. But elders are not relieved of the responsibility of serving tables because the, 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 12, the 12 apostles were not relieved of the responsibility of serving the people. But this is how the apostles served the people, okay? Very, very how uh, we getting this? Uh, very, uh, this is profound truths that come from this. Now, we are not li- We are not the first messianic congregation in uh, in Jerusalem, right? So we have elders, we have shamashim, and I'm happy to report that the way we raise people up is basically this is how we raise people up. When we raise up uh, uh, people to be uh, to do ministry, ministry. Diokana, ministry, right? Uh, That uh, 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 we're raising people up to be, as the name of a a book that I have that talks about Shamashim, ministers of mercy, okay? Uh, That's what people are called. So when we want to raise people up, what do we do? We ask this, firstly, we think about it, and we ask the Shamashim for input. So we start with the Shamashim, we get input. And then we think about, are these people, do these people have a good reputation? Are they full of the Spirit? Do, do, because we, we know a lot about people in the congregation and want to make sure that, uh, that people are walking with the Lord, and, and that, as far as we know anyway, and that kind of thing. And if it practically makes sense, you know, and, and that kind of thing. The reason we ask the existing shamashim is because they're part of the board of shamashim and there's a chemistry there. We don't want to just force people on, onto this board. Very important. But then what do we do? And you've seen it. You see it now. We put the names of the people in the bulletin so that people can give input, so that the congregation can give input. And then what do we do? We lay our hands on them, and we pray over them, and we raise them up. That's what we do, Uh, and that is, you know, very important. When we raise up elders, that is at least a year-long process uh, where we do seek input from others. We, you know, pray about it. People pray about it, uh, and, we, and I meet with them for a long period of time, and, uh, and then we, we raise them up. So, you know, that's basically, uh, basically what we do, and, and I think that it's a, you know, certainly a very important for us to get all of this. Uh, very good. Okay. So, and I guess the last thing I'll just say is, isn't it interesting that the first congregation in Jerusalem, we, we, we see them warts and all. We see that, uh, you know, we might say, we want to be like it was back in the first, in the book of Acts. Oh, so you mean you want to have people uh, that are hypocrites uh, and lie, uh, you know, uh, uh, to God and, and, uh, and have, uh, you know, pro- perhaps uh, some uh, problems with uh, different ethnicities or, or people that speak different languages. Is that what you want? Is that what you're saying? No. Uh, what we want to, to be is right before God, Right. Uh, and so this is what we do. Uh, and, uh, and I pray that um, we might uh, look at this passage and say, wow, you know, uh, this is what it means to be a, a community of Messiah followers. This is what it means, you know, all these things. And, and when we talk about growth, we don't necessarily mean numbers. We mean, are we growing in our service to people? Are we taking care of people? Uh, are we delegating are we praying? Are we in the Word? Are we teaching the Word? Are we receiving the Word? Are we, you know, are, are we bringing people in to, to know the Lord? The, this is what we learn in these early chapters of this is how it was, and it, it kind of serves as a paradigm, you know, uh, uh, for us. And so may we uh, uh, heed these words, and may we serve there. And I will just tell you, all you got to do is ask. There are people that that need rides to doctors. There are people that need companionship. There are people that need to be visited. Uh, 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 th- there are uh, uh, w- when we have the oneg in a few minutes. Uh, there are people that need to be sat with. You know, uh, uh, if you're not on an oneg team and participating, you need to be on one. Call the office. If uh, you're saying you know, no one ever asked me to do anything. Okay, you know, I want you to see me afterwards if you are a person who's saying, no one ever asked me to do anything, and I guarantee, okay, we'll find something for you to do, okay? We just need to make sure that you have a good reputation, full of the Spirit, wisdom, and, and that's, that's what it takes, uh, and, that's, and that's what we do. All right, well, what a great word for us. Let's pray. Lord, uh, God, thank you, God, that you had your hand on this group of people that didn't really know even what they were doing. Lord, uh, Lord, when we think about the 12, just a few months before this moment in Acts 6, just a few months before, they were running away, they were afraid, and they were denying you when Yeshua died, uh, Lord. But now that the Ruach has been poured out, You've given them wisdom. You've given them understanding. You've given them boldness. You've given them confidence. You've given them maturity to be able to lead these people, Lord. Lord, thank you, God, that you oversaw this process, uh, Lord. And we know what's coming. That there's going to be congregations in in Rome and uh, and in Greece, in Turkey, in Spain, and ultimately all around the world, in Africa, and all around the world, Lord. And the one thing that we all have in common is you, uh, Lord. And may we recognize that we are brothers and sisters, uh, and have responsibility uh, for uh, one another, Lord. Even today, there are Jewish people. There are Jewish people in Africa. There are Jewish people in India. There are Jewish people, you know, in Israel of different colors and languages. And so, uh, God, that still continues. But Lord, may we be seen as the people who show dignity and humanity and hospitality to all. May we be seen as the people who show, who put on love the perfect bond of unity. May we be seen as that. And may this world be jealous for that kind of community and investigate the claims of Messiah Yeshua. Thank you for it. We thank you for this community, Lord, and all all that it is and all that it is going to be. Thank you, and we pray in Messiah's name.